Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host here for this next hour of the Talent Talk radio show. So on this show, we feature a wide range of guests uh, who are uniquely talented people and uh, also care about talent themselves. So on this show, we really kind of dive into the two different meanings of talent. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that makes sense. The word talent has the two different meanings in the business world, and we really look to explore those two meanings as best we can. Typically, my guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, consultants, uh, recruiters, all, just people from all different industries uh, in the talent world. And when I'm out at networking events or industry conferences, I have a privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. In fact, I was just up at the HR.com uh, leadership conference in Vail, Colorado last week and had the opportunity to meet uh, a whole bunch of people that were will have uh, arranged to be on the show probably in May or June. So instead of me having these really great conversations where I'm picking their brain and asking them a thousand questions to try to learn their secrets... I thought, hey, why don't we bring them onto a radio show, have the dialogue here, so we can hopefully share that with the entire audience and maybe might pick up something that would be impactful to, to your own career or your, your company uh, that you can really put forward in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget, you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just uh, tweet your question to at PeopleG2 and use the hashtag TalentTalk. My producer, Mike, actually happens to be in jury duty today, so our assistant uh, producer, Tina Caladropoulos, is uh, manning the, uh, the Twitter feed. So if you have a question or if we say something on an interview that you don't understand or have a question about, maybe we use some acronym that we failed to explain what it was or something, tweet us. Just say, hey, what, what did you mean by that? Uh, we'd be happy to, to make sure we swing back to it uh, while the interview is still going. If you're, uh, if you're tuning in... Uh, uh, after the fact, uh, we really appreciate that. You can also uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or you can go to talenttalkradio.com, and you can get the episodes right there. Uh, many times people uh, tune in to hear uh, someone they know, and they typically end up finding a few other guests who they're really interested in, in hearing from. So check it out and uh, join the other 19,500 listeners we have so far that have come into our uh, podcast feed and, and take it, uh, listen to at least one or more of our uh, podcasts. So with that being said, let me get today's show started. My guests include Sam Kolati Menon, of, uh, the CEO of 295 International, and David Baldwin, the president and owner of Leadership Insight Group. Uh, Dave will be joining me in the second half of the show, so let me get to my first guest. Sam, welcome to the show. Chris, thank you for having me on. So tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe your background, kind of... Uh, you know, the, the, the quick history of Sam and, uh, and, of course, a little bit about your company, too, which is spelled T-W-O, and then 95, the actual numbers, international. That's right. The sh- uh, the, you want the long or the short? Let's start with the short. Let's uh, start with the short. It's only a 20-minute yeah. interview. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah I, I'm an engineer from India. Did my uh, B uh, bachelor's in uh, 
computer in uh, electri electrical and electronics engineering way back and did did an MBA from here from Rutgers did a dual in uh, finance and management um, and have been in the staffing industry for the last uh, 20 odd years that's uh, me personally I'm married happily married the last May my 25th wedding anniversary is coming up I got two daughters I live in Cherry Hill New Jersey which is uh, six miles from Philly and I'm an Eagles fan uh, moving on to the company, uh, 295, <laughs> 295 International, we are a staffing company. Uh, the name 295 is synonymous with an, with an highway over here in uh, South Jersey. Uh, the, the idea of setting up this company, uh, all, all the stuff came up on the highway. And the name was picked, uh, 295 International. And we have an office here in Cherry Hill. Uh, we have offices in Canada and uh, offshore in India too. What are we? We are... Uh, full-service uh, staffing firm that's all we do uh, both uh, full-time staffing and contract staffing and uh, primarily in the IT space and that's what I've been uh, personally doing here in the US for the last 20 years and, and do most of your placements happen domestically then uh, most of the placements are here domestically within the uh, 50 states uh, we got clients uh, all across the board starting from obviously New Jersey Philly uh, Midwest, St. Louis, uh, Omaha, going out to California. And Great. that's what we do out of U.S. Great. So I, I know you're kind of a serial entrepreneur. You have you know, 21, experience, 21 years of experience in the IT and telecommunication companies. So how have the challenges of being an entrepreneur changed over the last 21 years? One word, I'll go on the Internet. Let me expand on that. The core challenges of actually, you know, setting up a firm, entrepreneurship, get, getting the funding going, uh, bringing in clients, getting cash flow, none of that has changed over the years. But what's happened in the last 20 years is uh, the time frame, the, the, the time at which you set up a company matters, has uh, played a key role. Uh, in uh, the challenges associated with the time frame. Like going back to the early 90s, there was no internet. Mm -hmm. So in the staffing line of business, work was done the way we were going out, trying to get the right talent, talking to people who are all different, all over the phone, using a fax. Then the internet came along and uh, the dynamics changed. The way we went around business went, changed, but it also had its own, uh, had uh, what do you call, uh, added hassles too. Uh, you're talking about Twitter, you're talking about Facebook, uh, the instant, uh, if a job comes out, people know immediately what the jobs are. So uh, it's got its associated challenges uh, in this year or two. So maybe things got faster and some things got easier, but other things got more complicated. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, in, in a nutshell. Well, see, you're dealing with people, right? So uh, it gets more difficult when you have all these tools too, So at least uh, for a recruiter. Yeah. So obviously, you know, I, IT and telecommunication markets are you know, flooded with competition. It's a it's a very uh, busy marketplace. So, what is it that you identify that has continued to drive your success in, in the different ventures that you've done? Absolutely, the people. You know, the people you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. uh, who are your teammates? Uh, who comes into the? You know, who do you surround yourself on a daily basis within the office? The like-minded people you bring in. Uh, that goes a long way, you know. Uh, you're starting right off the bat, getting the right people around you. Um, so what happens is the walk gets that much more easier, and we're all walking in the same direction. And I guess that's the single factor which has uh, uh, come along in the last uh, 
two ventures which we have done. So we have been blessed with the right people around us. So what are some of those characteristics of those people that you've brought in that you you, you feel that confidently about? The staffing business, you know, you talk about recruiting, you know, you you the kind the mentality or the personality of the person who is actually going to be sitting there looking at a job, uh, talking to people and trying to get the right person in plays a lot uh in in uh, how everything falls in place the reason is uh, let me let me just backtrack the personality of the person who is actually going to be wearing a cap as a recruiter mm-hmm. is not something which anybody can be trained you have to uh, not you have to wear multiple hats keep in mind you're talking to a prospective candidate or a potential candidate who's earning maybe two times what you're earning and you want to ask him why is it that he wants to move on what's it that he needs to do so on a daily basis you're talking to uh, highly educated professional people and the uh, the mode of conversation and getting to know that individual a stranger on a daily basis you're talking to strangers mm-hmm. so uh, it's very difficult to quantify what is it that you need but being in the business long enough we know who could be a good recruiter a talent hunt hunter vis-a-vis you know anybody who can walk in the door right So I know you and I met at the uh, Inc 5000 conference in Washington mm-hmm. DC and your company was listed in the Inc 500 list of fastest growing companies mm-hmm. in 2013. So uh, congratulations to to that success that you've been uh, having. So what what might you attribute to this latest success and and where do you see your yourself going uh and doing next? We I attribute the success to the timing. we started this company back in 2007 where the economy was just getting into that phase which uh, most of the economists called as the uh, the worst global recession since the 1930s the idea of starting a staffing firm at that time was we knew you know it's going to get bad but it's going to the market's going to pick up too so the idea was to get our brand image and branding name in place so once the hiring picks up we're already in place and we're not starting from uh, a different level and to that extent yes you know we got in there in 2007 the first two years were not the best because it was all hinging on what the economy was taking us and as it moved on by the time we had uh, made a name for ourselves in working in you know shoestring budget and stuff like that where do we go from here a more of the same this is the only thing which i have been doing me and my partner so uh, we hope to grow this to uh, a larger size and i think that some of this has been uh, through some mergers and acquisitions um sure. so you know creating company culture that everyone can adopt uh is one of the keys to to that growth and success in having a you know a merger so what have been some of the challenges you face when it's come down to acquiring a company and having to introduce that culture because you you mentioned earlier about having the right people about having um you know those those people around you those like-minded uh thinking you know in the same way so when you you bring in another group of people uh, you bring in another company that can be a challenge so how did you deal with that it's i have to know my partner's not here on this call and I, he's the one who does the hunting around what mm-hmm. what we have seen in uh, most of the situations is the age and the size of the firm matters what we're looking into uh and you're looking at a firm which is more than 3 or 4 years in the business uh typically run by a single man show the culture is prevalent down the line it starts with the owner mm-hmm. and but typically once an acquisition is done 
you would see most of the people who are uh, working on as employees, they uh, they are more in tune with uh, the owner who's no longer there in the picture. So, uh, as, as if if that firm is longer than a certain time, it takes us that much more time to get inside and slowly work the thing out. Uh, it, it, and we really haven't gone for that large, uh, large-scale mergers or acquisitions where which uh, we really can't get our hand around. Mm-hmm. So it's really finding the one that's the right fit and has the right uh, absolutely yeah. yeah equation there. They can putting all the different important variables together and then finding the one that, that fits. So and it seems like you you've, you've been able to to, to find a good uh, good little algorithm that works for you because you you've been able to bring them in and and, and grow uh, quite well in the last few years. So, you know, imagine that part of this, uh, being able to, to bring those people in your culture is kind of having an identified value system. So are there particular values that you think are fundamental and or distinctive to your own company? I, no, I would just say two two words which would uh, definitely stick in my mind when I talk about values uh, within 295 is passion and ego. Bring in passion for the job. I mean, this is not something which anybody can do. And the second word which I brought in there was ego. I mean, not to misunderstand that word. Anyone who works in the line of business, specifically, you know, people associated with us, ego is something which you leave out to the front door when you walk in. No chip on your shoulder. And those are the kind of people, you know, that, that's the kind of values which we have over you. Because we, we are, after all, a service. So you're saying, when, you, when you're saying ego, you're saying to temper their ego, to, to have Absolutely. it under control. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You you can't get worked up with a, with you know prospective. Uh, you know you're recruiting a top talent for somebody, some company. You know, and for X amount of dollars, you, you're going to have a lot of questions thrown at you. You're going to have a lot of emotions thrown at you by total strangers. You can't take it personally. Mm-hmm. So you know you have you know these the group of people that have come into your company. Your your company certainly has grown, and you've had success, um, and things have become more sophisticated. How important or, or how well do you think the, the culture is aligning now in your own company? We've been now, this is the fifth year of uh, fifth year in this line of business, and uh, it's, a, it's a core team. It's a small team. Uh, you know, we don't have too many people working here. And uh, keep in mind, you know, uh, most of them who are here today are the ones who started with us when we didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And they knew us, they knew me, they knew my partner, and uh, they were willing to give their future a chance and uh, jump into with the startup company. So right from the get-go, they were already in tune with what we wanted. Right. And we're just building more and more of that. And the idea here is now we're building, we're bringing forth the managers of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that passes on down. So I wanted to kind of maybe dive into a little bit of the the, the workings of Sam here. Uh, maybe could you identify a specific skill or technique that you feel really contributes to your role, but maybe you had to work on over time. You know, over, over the last twenty one years, it's something that you had to to work to be good at, but but now is kind of an important uh, component of your success. Patience. I mean, that's uh, that's a word that springs to mind when you ask me that question. I came from a uh, uh, sales background, sales engineer, product sales, where uh, you know you, you go out and make your sales calls and do your pitch, and you you can uh, see the returns pretty quickly. Uh, in the service industry, at least in the area which I've been thrust into, it's not like that. 
And in the past, uh, I really was not patient. Over time, uh, I learned to uh, I learned the error of my ways. How? By making a lot of you know by failing a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by failing a lot, I learned that in this line of business, patience pays a long way. Because who you touch today and who you talk with today, five years down the line, he could be your client. Right. So you feel like this the the patience came more from wisdom and um, experience than than maybe just, than just age. I mean, sometimes people attribute patience <laughs> or, or impatience with youth. Right. You're, you're younger. You're, you certainly can be more impatient. But um, I notice that people kind of learn that lesson in different ways. Uh, but you're kind of you're kind of categorizing it more as a you know from trial and error and from from learning from your trial mistakes. and error, failing in it, yeah, yeah. working hard and saying you know what there's something wrong which I'm doing. So has there been anyone in in your life that maybe had a you know a great deal of impact on you as a leader and the, the type of person that you are today? And maybe you could kind of identify who that is and, and tell us why. Yeah, I would I would narrow it down to two people actually. And uh, both the, you know, both of them have made a the reason why we are, or rather, at, at what I am right now. First is my partner Mahesh, a total stranger I met at a Dunkin' Donuts uh, ten years back. <laughs> and uh, and I I don't come from an entrepreneur background. Nobody in my family has ever held a business. Uh, we're all nine to five employees working in government jobs. He came into my life and uh, taught me the term, what exactly the word the carpe diem means, you know. And I started me out on uh, my path of being an entrepreneurship. That's the first person. And uh, for someone like me who was always, I'm sorry. Before we go to the second person, can you can you give us a little little deeper uh, insight on the story here? How, how did you two meet in Dunkin' Donuts and end up being in business together? Oh, it was. Uh, <laughs> That's uh, fascinating. Uh, I'm a coffee drinker and I'm sitting there one. Uh, Evening, it was a very distinctly room, but it was towards Christmas, and sitting there reading my newspaper, having a coffee, and this, somebody else who was on my side walked in and he sat there, and he was having his coffee all by himself. Like two ships in the dark, we started talking, and the next thing I know, and he is far younger than me, and I've been an employee for a while with somebody else doing fairly well, and uh, he talked to me about starting up a business. I was like, you know, are you crazy? And I'm not, I don't go into that stuff. But before I know what, I don't know what he did. And fast forward three months from that uh, meeting at the uh, coffee shop, we started our first venture. That's a, that's a and, fantastic uh, story. I was, yeah, <laughs> I'm by nature a very cautious person and I'm very careful with what I do. And he's, he's, my, he's, my, he's my opposite, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. So that's it's a good, you know, in, in that regard, it's... Uh, Two likes, or two, you know, they don't, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. When we, we kind of complement each other. You know, that's good. Because you mentioned like minded, like, you know, thinking alike is one of the things that were important for your staff. And I wondered if you had anybody else internally that also is maybe a counter to you in a, in a positive way. Um, it sounds like your partner kind of fills that role as well. Oh yes, oh yes. You know, he is, uh, he, he brings a difference, a totally different, uh, side of the business over here. The second person which uh, who, which I would like to have a shout out to is my wife. Because uh, being an entrepreneur is not something which anybody, you know, it's, you can't just jump into say, you know, especially if you're married for a long time. Mm-hmm. You can't go out and say, you know what, I'm starting a business on my own. And then you sit around working out of a bedroom for six months. She gets tired of you. But <laughs> in that regard, you know, 
she made me believe in myself right to the extent that yes you know you know i believe what you're doing is right go ahead and do it right for someone who's never ever you know worked and i i, I don't i don't come from a business background like i told you so so those are the two i would say you know uh, reasons why i'm still in this uh, business so so one of the our most favorite questions that we ask on this show that really gives us a lot of insight into our guests and and what makes them tick uh is what are you reading right now and can you tell us about that you sure you want to know that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, the thing is, uh, I'm an avid reader. I read a lot. In fact, we looked for an office. Uh, I, I wanted to get an office right across from the local uh, library, <laughs> which we did. And I crossed the road. I'm in the library. But, but my reading uh, is totally nothing to do with management. I read historical fiction. Okay. I love historical fiction. What I'm reading right now, a book by Stephen Pressfield called The Last of the Amazons, uh, going back to how what happened in history. And I do, once in a way, look at the management books when I go into Barnes & Noble, I skim over it. Uh, in, in in that regard, I feel ignorance is bliss. You know, I know I read a lot about Steve Jobs, read a lot about most of the other people who have gone out and started their companies uh, out of garages. In fact, I have a client over here in Cherry Hill who initially started out of his garage. And uh, that's fast forward four years from now, he owns two buildings. He's one of my major clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're so not... I go, you know, it's... I'm not... Uh, you're not the first reading. person to uh, to really kind of focus into that historical fiction type of an area. And, you know, a lot of the CEOs and business owners really seem to enjoy understanding about the lessons of history, understanding... Uh, you know, other other ways to challenge their mind and to comprehend things. And um, you know, some people spend all their their nose in management books all day, and other people kind of read a, a wide variety. So uh, we, that's why it's, we find it really interesting as to what people really are, are attracted to, and you know, as it relates to you know the kind of person they are and, and how they maybe you know navigate their own business. So. Bernard Cornwell, Corn Eagleton, Genghis uh, Khan is one of my favorite characters in the past. What he did to uh-huh. you know, move a whole nation across, uh, uh, off the shelf. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Well, it's fascinating. And uh, to remi- a reminder to our listeners, we we always post the uh, books uh, in our blog recap. So when we have that up, we we shoot that out, and uh, you can always check our Amazon. Uh, little basket there and it will show you all the books that the the guests have ever suggested in case you're interested in, in checking them out so uh we're getting here down to the end and we really have appreciated you, you being on the show you've, you've been fascinating and we love learning some of those those stories uh you know what you're reading and you know the one how you met your partner in the dunkin donuts i mean some of that stuff is just it's fascinating uh, to hear other people's stories about how, how they started their businesses and 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 took that that kind of a leap of faith in, into being an entrepreneur. It's uh, it, it's really really great. So maybe you can let us know, uh, all the listeners know, how they can get a hold of your company if they're interested in learning more or having you help them with uh, one of their IT placements. Uh, what's the best way for them to reach out? Uh, we live in the, in the day and age. I'm staring at my iPhone. Call me on my cell number six zero nine seven six zero one nine zero zero, and we'll take it from there. And what's the uh, website for your company? Uh, it's uh, T W O, the number nine, number five, I N T L dot com. 
295 International. If you Google it, it should come up. And just remember, it's the name of the highway in New Jersey, right? There you go. <laughs> Ring around 95. All right, Sam. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today on the Talent Talk Radio Show. It was a real pleasure having you. And we hope we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on how you're doing. Thank you, Chris. Really appreciate you having me on. Take care. Dave Baldwin is coming up next after this quick commercial break. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast uh, and hear this show or listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net. You can click the Shows tab there and click on Talent Talk. You can also visit talenttalkradio.com, which we recently released and has all of the uh, past shows there listed. Um, and in the short time that the, the show's existed, we've been here for less than a year. We're already almost to the 20,000 uh, listener marks, and we're really proud of that. So uh, help us spread the word and uh, check out uh, some past shows. There might be some great people there that you might want to listen to and, and learn something from. My next guest is uh, Dave Baldwin. He's the president and owner of the Leadership Insight Group. Uh, don't forget to uh, tweet your questions right now or to uh, make any comments about uh, today's show. Uh, as we have Dave on the phone, and if you have a question, we'll, we'll try to get it to him, and maybe we can stump him. Just remember, at PeopleG2, hashtag Talent Talk. So, uh, Dave, welcome to the show. Great to be with you, Chris. There we go. We almost we almost lost you. That was almost, that would have been a first for us, but glad to, glad we, we found you. So, uh, Dave, tell us a little about yourself and your company and uh, Leadership Insight Group. Be glad to. David Baldwin, uh, I'm married with two boys in beautiful San Diego, but I'm born and raised in uh, California, mainly in Northern. I uh, founded the Leadership Insight Group in 2007, uh, dabbled with jumping out around the year 2000, but it has been a great uh, seven-year run, and basically uh, do leadership development, study the practice of leadership, be able to kind of uh, deliver in many capacities uh, over 25 countries uh, with the virtual outreach now. It's uh, really kind of unlimited. But uh, do everything from um, psychometric assessments, computerized simulations, uh, digital recorded uh, real plays, 
360 assessments, uh, being able to kind of bring awareness and clarity where there might be confusion around leadership behaviors, and then being able to kind of uh, help coach and chart a course for uh, executives to get on board and uh, get tracking where they want to go and where they need to go. So it's been a, a great ride for me. Well, it sounds fascinating. And I know kind of looking at your background, you went from in the field of television broadcasting, including working at ESPN and CBS News, to, to leadership training, really focusing on those Fortune 500 companies. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about what moved you, in, you know, into this direction. Great question. I get it asked uh, quite frequently. And I, I really enjoy the television broadcast industry. studied it in college before I went off to graduate school to really kind of focus into the leadership realm. But uh, the, the the excitement of that live 5 o'clock, 11 o'clock uh, newscast was obviously stimulating. And it was uh, challenging uh, in regards to talking to a teleprompter. And I, though, enjoyed that, and it was kind of like the show, but at the same time you're explaining content and critical information, there just became more of a thirst for me to talk to the person um, more face-to-face, more interactively, uh, being able to kind of challenge and coach than just tell. And so that's what led me um, kind of out of the five-year ESPN, CBS, uh, 19th Market uh, television business onto uh, to leadership. So instead of uh, communicating to the masses, you were trying to move into an area where you're actually helping, you know, maybe one or two people at a time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, I've been able to speak to a little over ten thousand now um, around the world, and it's, it's been really interesting to kind of have that impact and that capacity. Um, you're able to really connect uh, personally and leave kind of a, a lasting legacy or a mark on the person for them to kind of reflect on always encouraging you know years after the fact to hear back from someone that you interacted with and coached and challenged to kind of hear where they are on their journey and the progress that they've made so um yeah it's 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 interesting how the media has kind of evolved um from when i was involved in the uh, 80s and 90s with uh social media and technology um it's kind of interesting one of the things that uh i've been able to be a part of is um, interviewing like top executives and you just put the, the lights on them with a camera and you interview them like you would like an intense uh, television interview. And you have done research in their company prior to that. And then you talk about how they manage that stressful situation. And then you give them feedback on how to manage the perception and those sorts of things. So kind of bridging the gap of the, the television and leadership has been kind of fun for me too. Hmm, that's, that's fascinating. So I'm sure as an entrepreneur, you've, you've gone through some of those traditional growing pains and challenges that most of us, you know, have faced when you're starting a company. Uh, Maybe you can talk a little bit about those challenges and when you really felt like, you know, the Leadership Insight Group was finally moving, you know, forward towards a successful run. Absolutely. I mean, it is, when you step out there, I mean, it is really um, challenging with all of the uncertainty, all of the excitement, all of the opportunity, and sometimes it comes at you all at once. And it's not a nine to five clock, it's a 24 hour clock, and it's a complete global time zone clock. So being able to, to be responsive and manage the opportunities and the leads, um, to not, uh, let things drag on too long, kind of build a relationship was one of the more bigger growing pains and sometimes still is. But with the, uh, the aspect of a, a staff, a virtual assistant, uh, those sorts of resources kind of make it a little bit easier. But then being able to capitalize on on those, um, which takes time and effort. And while you're trying to 
design and deliver work, um, it's a whole other skill set to focus in on the uh, business development and the marketing. Um, so it's it's the juggling act and then being able to work and partner and hire other people to kind of help and support you with that. So I know you've worked with some you know top companies around the world and you know providing things like executive coaching and leadership training and you know dealing with culture. So uh, you know and I, on a, for me uh, we kind of recently begun really helping companies that are smaller companies and medium sized companies deal with kind of that first change that first kind of pivot point. Uh, in dealing with their culture. And it sounds like what you're kind of really focusing on is the large companies where culture is certainly going to be more complex and uh, maybe harder, even harder to change. So do, do you find that there are many similarities in these corporations as far as the issues that they're dealing with or the things that kind of the most pressing for them to get resolved? It, it, it's true that I've been you know, fortunate to work with kind of the, the bigger companies, but I also enjoy working with the, kind of the larger or the medium-sized or smaller outfits. Um, and it, the challenge that I'm seeing most often is working across a matrix, influencing without authority. And even the smaller organizations, even say 50 or smaller, have to influence without authority. Sometimes when you're trying to build a new product line or build commitment to selling a new product line, whatever that might look like, but, you know, in regards to kind of you know, the challenges, it's, it's being able to kind of navigate the complexity. Um, last week I was in New York City with um, Citibank. I had folks from Ireland and Malaysia and Argentina, and we just got a clock out. And I said, all right, so what are the times that we're going to be able to find? And we had to find a, a slot, and we had to rotate that. Uh, so how do you manage language challenges, cultural challenges? I mean, all those things when companies are much more nimble and global and flexible. And you have to be. And so it's creating your own customized kind of situation, your own customized uh, scorecard for you to kind of create a way for you to figure it out. Because everybody's different. You know, maybe it's the iPhone and maybe it's not the iPhone. Um, some people get frustrated with the time zone functions on the iPhone or they, they like this function but not that function. So you have to kind of write it out or find your own technology to kind of uh, surf the challenges. But I would say... In, in a nutshell, it's really kind of managing uh, the globalness um, and the outreach. Um, even you know this this particular uh, interview, radio talk, talent talk. I mean, it's um, has the capacity as it goes global, and the outreach is uh, amazing as far as connecting with people. So that's a different mindset than even say 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, certainly a, a lot of things have changed, but sometimes the 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 uh, you know kind of challenges that a company have can 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 be the same at the very very root. I mean, it may be coming from them in, in a new medium or a new you know new bit of social media or a new from an acquisition in another country. But you know, am I being valued in the company? Am I an effective communicator? Um, am I you know leading my team or my group as well as I can? I mean, those, those always seem like some really base things that I wondered if there was. You know, you may ever you you may see on a consistent basis where, you know, thirty percent of the time I work with someone, I'm dealing with a leadership issue or something. Is there any kind of categorical things that you might identify on that on that end? Well, one way that I've kind of uh, measured, I'm always kind of keeping a lookout, is um, Disney and Starbucks because I've enjoy those product lines. Been to all the the parks and the cruises and all. I don't know a number of Starbucks uh, locations to kind of really get a sense of, is their culture true? And how do they keep it alive uh, when you are global? And so being able to kind of test out customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, with that barista, do you have the interaction? 
you have the the question back and forth, even though it's only you got three minutes to get them in and out, is their ideal standard? You know, how do you build relationship with them? And you know, for the most part, I, I've seen that, I've tasted it, I've, expl- I've experienced it. Um, and so, how do you maintain that level of quality? And so, when when Howard uh, at Starbucks was pulled out, um, when Stephen Jobs was pulled out, taken out, whatever you want, um, that had a significant impact on the leadership culture. And then they were brought back in, and that then changed the dynamics. Right. Um, and so it, it definitely has a, uh, a connection to leadership at the top. But uh, how do you maintain customer service is one thing that I'm definitely uh, seeing time and time again. Yeah, and it's amazing. Uh, it was just at a Starbucks this last weekend, and the line was on just really long, and it took a really long time. It was very unusual. We'd been to the Starbucks before. It's not a normal thing. When we got up, I went to hand my money, and they said, hey, it's on us. Sorry for the wait. I mean, it's that kind of, you know, thing that they did that, that keeps, you know, their customers coming back, keeps you happy. And it's amazing that they have the power, the autonomy to be able, you know, that a local barista can can make that decision. Um, you know, I had one give me a free coffee a week before that because they didn't have the coffee I wanted. I'm not a particular fan of Pike's Place, so I didn't want to have that cup. I wanted something else. And I said, well, give me the blonde and sitting. He goes, okay, it's on me. And I, and that those two experiences, it just, that keeps me coming back over and over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. I don't get that same, uh, that same, uh, experience with, with other, you know, uh, coffee makers uh, <laughs> or distributors, right. you know, and so it's quite amazing. How do they get that to, to really kind of flow through their culture and, uh, get it down to that really low base level of their frontline employees. And it's one thing for the managers. It's one thing for the executives to talk about it. But how do you get those frontline people to really live and breathe it and do it? Uh, I think that's an amazing Absolutely. challenge. Yeah. I mean, in fact, last week I was having this uh, conversation uh, with the CEO of Hugo Boss. And on his front lines, it's how to keep that you know frontline motivated retail staff engaged and and moving forward and you know it really gets into lifestyle you know and so you when i go to starbucks i'm like and once i get into a conversation with someone so why are you really here you've been here i've seen you for three four years and i go you know it's it's the benefits i feel taken care of and i enjoy the challenge of the speed and you know building the thousand or so different drinks and so there's something about it's changing it's evolving it's caring uh about the individual and uh, person on the front lines but it's also giving them something that ties into something that is important to them, and it's just a job. So that's not easy to do, especially if you have a turnover rate of, say, 20%. You know, how can you think differently? How can you offer, like Howard did for Starbucks, how can we offer jobs to U.S. in the midst of the crazy economy? And uh, that's a different appeal to a different set of values that then people buy into, and then you feel like you want to be a part of it and want to be helpful. And so I think that's one potential solution it's not easy to do and there's a cost associated but it's an investment yeah you know i know every company whether they're large or small we're talking about here has to really deal with that issue of uh you know their culture and so when you get down to kind of the roots of that issue and you look at the challenges that companies face when they they want to bring a change uh, to their culture you know, do you think there's much difference between a large corporation and making that change and a small company, let's say, you know, 50 or, or so employees? Do you think it's a different process and different equation there? I, I think it is, um, just because of the sheer size and the nimbleness. Uh, I've been working with a marketing group uh, up in Portland, um, Pivot, their name, and they're just uh, just moving left and right, having just a high amount of growth. And they are moving their, their focus, their strategy, and they're able to do that because they're in a smaller 
um, size organization. At the same time, you know, I've been working with um, with Dell computers and all the challenges they've gone through from going from number one to where they currently are from a PC maker, and they're changing their culture and what's important to them and where they focus their energy. It's you know not about the consumer. It's challenging for them to get into Walmart for a long time, for example, because uh, that's not that's not who they are. That's not what they are. And so there's been a shift there. And where are they going now? And so moving that shift, the larger shift, is um, not easy to do. But it can be done. And I think it, it's been shown to be done. Um, you know, obviously Google and other life big story uh, organizations have, have done that. Even Microsoft, when they went through uh, their, their launch and explosion and then they had some lulls and they kind of recreate and get, catch their breath. I mean, it's possible, but it just takes, obviously, longer and there's going to be fallout from the larger size. There's going to be layoffs. There's going to be a change of focus. Um, with the smaller groups, the smaller entities, um, you know, there's more of, a, again, a nimbleness, uh, being able to find maybe find work uh, that is new and challenging that others can step into versus just kind of letting them go. So I, I think there's a, a definitely a difference from speed and being able to kind of connect with um, your employees from a small versus a large. Right. So how, how do the, the best companies then effectively communicate their values to their employees and, and get really get their staff to buy into those values? I mean, I think you've seen, probably have some good examples and have seen it work in different different scenarios. So are there are there real effective ways that you, you see this happening? I do. Uh, I, I think the consistent message is critical. Uh, I've been to enough buildings and enough organizations where you see whatever these mission statements and values are on a wall. And they're not alive. They're not changing. They're not developing. And I, I honestly believe you're either growing or you're dying. And a vision is kind of the, the life and the values is the lifeblood of the organization. And it always has to be looked at, always has to be acknowledged. Um, even just looking at the USA American story. I mean, there's ways to kind of look at connections there, but you have to, you know, maintain that message. So one organization um, that has done this and I think done this well at the global organization um, is a, uh, a company called Solar Turbines, and that's a figure Caterpillar. And uh, what they do is the CEO has a, they have a television studio back to the television connection. Perhaps why I like it, and they record the CEO, and then it's uh, then dispersed, you know, through their internet and through even uh, visual uh, methods. And then there's a discussion at the smaller frontline level with the supervisor and the direct reports, and be able to kind of have a conversation about what they like, what they don't like what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. So it's continually evolving. And this is happening, you know, every month or even more frequent than that. So you're seeing your CEO, you're having FaceTime, you're having interaction, you're giving feedback immediately, instantly, because there's a system set up for that. And so, you know, the front lines are able to give feedback to the top, which is where there is rarely any feedback. And then you're able to kind of have that, that cycle, that communication circle that then helps you to kind of get a good pulse on where your organization's at and where you're going. But um, that's what I found. You're either you're always moving and growing. I mean, it's it's just never never static, you know. And uh, even Microsoft changed their uh, changed their mission. <laughs> yeah, well, it's incredibly interesting that you brought that up about the uh, CEO taping something and had them talking about that. And so certainly that organization is larger than mine. But I kind of found this, you know, unintended consequence or you know secondhand. Uh, kind of great thing happening with my own staff, just them listening to the radio show, that they felt like they were understanding more about me. They were understanding kind of where I was coming from on different things just by hearing me talk and give you my opinion and 
asking the questions that I was asking. And I've noticed that uh, some of them have already started to be able to kind of predict uh, a lot better what I'm going to want and, uh, you know, already start presenting me the options that they think I- I'm going to want based on them feeling that they understand me a little bit better. So it sounds like an incredible tool that, that they're using uh, to be able to disseminate that for maybe across a very large organization that is, you know, maybe multi-locations. Absolutely. I mean, the, the positive impact is huge from, you know, transparency and trust and being able to kind of understand and all, all of the communication challenges that are really rampant in global organizations or even local organizations. You can have communication challenges on the front line right. from a 50 or so. And so it really, um, you know, kind of turns the, uh, the focus to everybody than just at the top. So the whole hierarchical mindset, which has, you know, been demolished or is completely demolished or on its way to being demolished, is looking at kind of this, uh, you know, connected instant information through social media, wherever it is. Um, and so how do you leverage that? How do you use that versus, um, you know, get, get, uh, be afraid of it, you know, so embracing it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, especially in larger companies, if you've seen where, you know, for for them to be successful, does does their culture need to be aligned? You know, across the board, from every location, every department, everything. You know, are the ones that are communicating it over and over again and, and living it and breathing it, are they having success, or or is it possible for for companies to have, you know, this general idea of their culture, but then allow subcultures to exist? You know, can they have a culture within a particular division, and that might be different from another division or another location, or culture be different in the management level versus a frontline area? I mean, can it kind of be fragmented as long as it's working? Or, or do, are you saying, is it better off it's just, you know, top down, everyone's on, on board with the same thing? Well, you know, it, there has to be, I have found, you know, some connection to, if you want to call it the mothership or the, the larger entity of the organization. Um, I mean, you don't want to have so many different types of McDonald's out there, even though there are some unique ones with different uh, food options. But you want to have some sort of stability, but at the same time, some flexibility to offer your kind of cultural niche. Um, I remember, uh, again, back to Dell, I uh, went down to um, from Round Rock headquarters to uh, down to El Salvador and, and Panama, and, you know, it, it was a different flavor. Uh, there was different music being played. There was a lot more color. Uh, they even had a uh, uh, like a punching bag, like a real live boxing boxer's punching bag, and it was kind of interesting. That from a cultural standpoint, it was a way to kind of uh, relieve stress. Maybe there's a, a tough customer on the other end, or something that's kind of going on that's a little more stressful or challenging, and you just kind of let out a little energy. I mean, you can't always do that in your own culture. But what I also found is when I go to these Dell locations around the world, that uh, they were built the same. I knew right where the bathroom was. I knew, you know, that the uh, the carpet was uh, not did not have much thickness to it. So, you know, as a way to save cost, um, there were just some similarities around that. And then you saw some more pictures and some more values. But how it was acted out behaviorally was definitely different. And that that is critical for success to have that uh, flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. At some level, they need to digest it in their own way. But that, that connection to the mothership that you mentioned is seems like kind of an important key as long as. They feel connected as long as there's something kind of latching them there. Then, then they can still have their own maybe little uh, variance, uh, you know, to that uh, component, uh, you know, as, as they move forward on an individual level within their own location or department. So, 
Absolutely. It comes down to the individual person. You know, you understand me and my group, my culture, my unique situation, you know, and it's, um, it's different than yours. And so sometimes I'll get into facilitated discussions of some sort of, you can call it us versus them thinking where there's different perceptions, different mindsets from APAC to EMEA to the Americas. And they're like, well, why are they doing it this way? Well, since we're a headquartered here, this is how things operate. Um, back to Hugo Boss, you know, since they're headquartered in Germany, you know, what does that mean? And, you know, Dell's in the States, what does that mean? And so there's a certain um, connotation that gets uh, generated. So you don't want to lose out on the local flavor uh, where there's boots on the ground to kind of really get a sense of where that's at and then leverage that because it is very different yeah. <laughs> in different uh, parts of the world. So. So one of our uh, favorite questions to ask on this show uh, gives us some great insight about our, our guests, and hopefully you have a, a fantastic answer for us. So we're, no pressure at all. Is, is what are you reading right now? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely, sure. I mean, there's a few that I'm reading. I guess the top one that I'm reading now is um, Why CEOs Fail, the, a book that looks at the derailment factors. And when I was uh, full-time at the uh, Center for Creative Leadership, uh, there was a lot of research that was done on derailment, where an executive goes to a certain level in their career and then plateaus or gets demoted. And the question is, you know, what happened? Uh, if the organization didn't derail them, which is not always the case, what did they do individually? And so there's a lot of research around that. And so this uh, this book around from the CEO perspective looks at the derailment factors around you know, arrogance. Maybe you're a great decision maker and you can make any and all decisions uh, based on your logarithm or your thinking process. But then if it goes to the next level, it can be perceived as arrogance. Right. Um, and, and so one thing that's a strength taken to the extreme obviously can does become a weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, being melodramatic versus char- charismatic, uh, volatility, being uh, having excessive caution, uh, habitual distrust of so micromanaging behaviors, uh, aloofness, uh, uh, passive resistance, perfectionism. There's a, there's a number of them in this book with real live stories. Um, when I was doing work with, uh, with Xerox, there was, and this is well documented, Harvard Business Reviews around, you know, learnings from, um, past, uh, failures around what didn't work from a CEO perspective. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's an interesting read from the top because the top then trickles down to understand you may be this phenomenal leader. Uh, even both would say Steve Jobs was the phenomenal leader, but he had leadership, a leadership team that uh, surrounded him, that cushioned his very uh, direct leadership behavior, uh, which, you know, was the emphasis to Apple's success, but at the same time would rub some people wrong. Um, and some people left, obviously, because of that. And so how do you... Uh, how do you contain that and manage that and use that to your success? And so it's recovering some blind spots, um, giving you a, an evaluation. Even though you're the CEO, it doesn't mean that you've arrived. There's always room to grow. And so that's why I kind of like this particular book that I'm looking at right now. Yeah, I mean, it amazes me how many people don't realize that sometimes they're, they're the best thing about them, you know, their greatest you know attribute is you know their, their strength, right? Their greatest strength can very often be their biggest weakness as well. Um, yep. yeah, and as you rise up on that uh, and you get more responsibility and you your career continues to grow, something like being a perfectionist, which may it made you fantastic as an analyst, right, or fantastic as a 
someone in, in the warehouse or whatever suddenly as a manager is your nightmare. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you've been praised all along. Everyone's been telling you how great you are, and then all of a sudden it's you know. But now we don't like it so much. So, yeah, it, it's an amazing. Uh, for me, I, I really find a lot of kind of just you know awe in the lack of understanding that people have to that point that they don't realize that as they you know think the more eyes are on them and the more impact they have on other people the more they need to really kind of temper some of those things and look to be to, to grow as a person and not to uh you know just stay stagnant i mean I think one of the big things is that going forward a lot of the best kind of business experts are kind of pushing us to is that you not only do you need to grow you need to know how to learn unlearn and then relearn uh going forward yeah. so absolutely anyways uh you know uh, davis it has been a really pleasure having you on the show and we're just about out of time so before we go i want to make sure that uh let you give your shout out here and let anyone know how to get a hold of you if they're looking to get uh to know a little bit more about the leadership insight group Thank you. I appreciate that. I would love to uh, explore and have a communicated discussion on partnering with any uh, organizations or groups that uh, are in need or of interest. My website, uh, organization website is lig360.com. So Leadership Insight Group, uh, lig360.com. And you can email me at david.baldwin at lig360.com or uh, feel free to give me a call directly at uh, area code 858 858- Well, all right, David, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today, and hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on some of the other exciting clients that you've been working with and and things that you've learned along the way. That'd be wonderful. Appreciate the opportunity, Chris. So that's about all the time we have. Uh, Thanks again to my guests, Sam uh, Kaladi Menon and uh, Dave Baldwin. Tune in next week at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for People G2 brought to you by People G, excuse me, Talent Talk brought to you by People G2. And uh, what we have on the show next week is uh, Carla Porter, Director of Program uh, Development and Marketing for the uh, ARC in uh, Lerzurian County. And uh, Steve Danley, he's the Chief Human Resource Officer for the County of Orange. It should be fascinating. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping people with their people-related decisions. 